You are listening to the official podcast of Grace Atumwa. Relaunch without settling for less. What is the plan to relaunch the large in-person worship gatherings? God isn't calling us to return to 2019. God is calling us to join God's mission this year, next year, and on into the future. So we don't settle for a trimmed down version of 2019. Instead, we pursue God-sized dreams and pursue them with a commitment worthy of God's mission. Spiritually prepare to enter the future God has for us by reading John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chris Childs. My daughter Braylon has these VTech toys. So yesterday we were down in the basement. That's where we have all of her toys scattered around. We're set up. We have this little table that has a whole bunch of these little animals. They have a track that they go on. And downstairs she goes and she turns them on. She's figured out. It's amazing. She's figured out how to use this little switch there. We had to cover on on the Titan, by the way. But she goes, she, she flipped on this little switch. And she expected to hear it say, Rawr! because that's what lions do. They say, Rawr! but didn't say rawr. Instead, it said, in my toddler, she knew, she knew lions aren't supposed to do that. She knew lions are supposed to say, rawr. they are not supposed to say, rawr, 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 rawr. why am I telling you this? This is important. Do not miss What's happening here? The lion is supposed to give a full-hearted roar. Instead, it just barely gets out a raw. And that ends. It keeps trying over and over. It's busy. It's hurried. But it's not doing the thing that it's made to do. And you know what she does? She hands it to me and she says, Daddy, fix it. Because the toddler knows. The toddler knows that lions, they're supposed to roar. Today, we heard this story about Philip and Andrew. I'm going to actually start by fast-forwarding a little bit to Philip and Andrew and the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 people. If you've never heard this story, it's a, it's a fascinating story. It's, it's, it's really interesting. It involves these two lesser-known apostles, these people sent by Jesus, Philip and Andrew. Who are they, though? These aren't the famous Peter, James, and John. The apostles and disciples, you know, the, the Peter, James, and John, they are Jesus' inner circle. Peter is, is the, the rock on whom Jesus built the church. No, this is Philip and Andrew. And let's, let's actually go back to the story that Jeff read for us. One of the two disciples who, who followed Jesus was Andrew. He found, he first found his own brother, Simon Peter, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And he led Peter to Jesus. Now think about this for a minute, though. Andrew, you, you, I don't know about you. I, growing up, I never heard any stories about Andrew. I, if, if someone asked me the list of the 12 followers of Jesus initially, I, I don't know if I would have even included his name. Andrew, the little-known disciple, he led Peter to Jesus. Peter's the disciple who walked on water with Jesus. Peter was the one of the, he was the first spokesperson for the people of God after Jesus' resurrection. If Andrew had thought about inviting Peter, 
can you imagine if he thought about inviting Peter and then he said, you know what though? I could invite Peter. I could say, you know what, Peter? I'd, I'd like you to meet Jesus, but instead, I don't want to make my brother feel uncomfortable by talking about religion. What would have happened? How would the story of the entire New Testament, the entire first history of, of scripture be different if Andrew never led his brother to Jesus? And, and so I just want to start today, and we're getting back to this lion, but let's start today wondering this thing, who is it that you're leading to Jesus? I've told you before, the average United Methodist, I don't know where the statistic comes from, the average United Methodist leads someone to Jesus once every 38 years. Who are you leading to Jesus? I'm even going to ask you this. What is Jesus going to do through that person's life? Andrew had no idea what Jesus was going to do through Peter's life. And the people that Jesus is saying, you, go, go bring that person to me too. I don't know what Jesus is going to do in their life and through their life, but Jesus knows. And for little-known disciples of Jesus like you and like me, we get to celebrate what Jesus did through Andrew and believe that Jesus can do that through any one of us who also has a brother or sister or friend or coworker who wants more out of life. Because every single one of us has one of those people in mind right now. We know them. We know they want more out of life. But we'd be tempted to say, oh, it could get uncomfortable if I bring up religion. But that's not what Andrew's saying. Let's look at Philip. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee. And he found Philip. And Jesus said to Philip, follow me. So Jesus reached out specifically to Philip. Philip was from Bethesda, the town of Andrew and Peter. Isn't it kind of interesting? These first followers of Jesus, they were part of a similar social circle. There's a social circle invitation, and you have a social circle, and I have a social circle. Try saying that really fast. We have these people that we're interacting with in our family units, in our friendships, in our coworkers, even the places that we go to shop, the places we go to eat. We have people that we come into contact with. The way Jesus told other people, or, or the, the news about Jesus started to spread was through social circles. And then Philip, who is from the same town as Andrew and Peter, found Nathaniel and said to him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I, this feels a little intense. This feels a little bit intense to me when I hear this. Philip is going to Nathaniel. He, he has his friend. He has someone in his social circle and he goes to him and says, we found him. We found the Messiah. We found the one that we've been waiting for. And as we'd expect, someone that we bring religion up to. We bring our faith up to. Nathaniel responds with skepticism. Can anything from Nazareth be good? And Philip said, come and see. You know, and we'd be afraid of that too. I've heard about what some Christians have done. Can anything about Jesus of Nazareth be good? We're, we're afraid of that same kind of skepticism when it comes to sharing our faith. But Philip... 
He doesn't get into a debate. He doesn't try and make his case. He's not responsible for the evidence. That's God's job. But you know what Philip's responsible for? He's in, responsible for that invitation. He says, come and see for yourself. See, for me, I get scared about inviting other people. Inviting other people, just like Philip invited someone, just like Andrew invited someone, I get scared because I think, then I have to prove it. I don't have to prove it. I don't have to prove that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that through Jesus, people can have life to the fullest. No, I'm responsible for the invitation that I say to anyone that's skeptical, come and see for yourself. For Nathaniel, it didn't take him long before he said, you are God's son, Jesus. You are the king of Israel. And then for the rest of Nathaniel's life, he experienced the grace and the love of Jesus Christ how different Nathaniel's story could have been if, if uh, Andrew just thought to himself or and, and, and Philip thought to himself, I thought about inviting you to meet Jesus, but I didn't want to be pushy. So I just stopped short. Oh, friends, is this hard? These are hard truths we're looking at. So then we come fast forward, Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel, they're following Jesus. We get to the story of feeding of the 5,000 people. Jesus looks up and he sees this crowd coming towards him. And he says to Philip, why Philip? Why does he talk to Philip right here? Why doesn't he talk to, to Peter, or James, and John? But he doesn't. He says, Philip, where will we buy food to feed these people? Philip, Philip hardly even fits the mold for following this Jewish teacher, Jesus. He's hardly even Jewish ethnically. He had a Greek name. Why Philip? What is it that Jesus sees in him? So Philip replies to Jesus. He says, more than half a year's salary of, worth of food won't be enough for each person to have a crumb, even a little bit. He has a scarcity mindset in this moment. And maybe, maybe we're not so different. Sometimes I have the same fearful, scarcity mindset of Philip. Where Philip says, maybe we can sell for less than feeding all these people. We're reading this story from the book of John. When Matthew tells the same story, the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, don't worry about feeding them. Send them all home. Then we'll have enough food for us. They focus on gathering themselves together and they forget about the others, but Jesus doesn't. Is that what Jesus does? Someone's right now is saying, no, Jesus doesn't forget the other people. One of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said, a youth here has five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that for a crowd like this? See, we keep seeing Andrew and Philip. They keep coming together in the story. Andrew is resourceful. Is Andrew faithless? He says, what good is that for a crowd like this? No. Is he realistic? Maybe. See, we, we don't know what Andrew's body language was. Maybe he, he really was expressing serious doubt. Jesus, what good is that? There's nothing we can do here. In my own mind, I don't know if this is true. This is all, all uh, speculation here. I see Andrew as someone who's been following Jesus, winking and saying, what good's that, Jesus? What are you going to do? I want to see. See, we don't know, but we do know what Jesus does. What Jesus does is he takes bread 
and he breaks it and gives thanks for what he has. He does the same thing with the fish. He gives thanks and then he gives it away because that's the way of Jesus, to give it away. And when the crowd of 5,000 had plenty to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be wasted. So they gathered them up and they filled up 12 baskets with the pieces of barley loaves that had been left over by those who had eaten. They had more abundance than they could have believed. But what? I wonder about this with, with Philip and Andrew. What if they had sailed for less than the glory of Jesus and the wholehearted pursuit of God's mission? Because truly, as I think about it, Philip and Andrew, yes, Jesus says, go ahead and have everyone sit down. They could have said, no, Jesus, I don't want to look like a fool. I don't want to look like a fool who has everyone sit down to eat and that all I've got is a handful of bread and fish to feed all these people. Jesus, I won't do it. Think about it for a moment. These disciples, they actually had choice. Do they obey Jesus or not? And they chose to obey Jesus because they didn't want to settle for less. They didn't know what was going to happen. None of us do. And when we invite someone to experience the grace of Jesus, we don't know what will happen in their life. We don't know how they're going to respond to it. But we know that we don't want to sell for anything less than the glory of Jesus and the wholehearted pursuit of Jesus's mission. My toddler knows that lions are supposed to roar. She knows what this is supposed to sound like. And so when all that comes out is rah, Ra, 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 ra. She says, fix it, daddy. Do we, individually, personally, do we settle for less than the wholehearted pursuit of what Jesus has for us? Do we settle for ra and just keep playing with that? Or do we expect a roar? Are we pursuing the full roar of Jesus in our own lives? In scripture, over and over, Jesus is described as a lion. A mighty, powerful, fierce, untamed lion. Are we willing to experience the adventure that Jesus has for us? Or do we sell for less and easy and simple? Are we pursuing the full roar of life walked in the footsteps of Jesus where everything that we thought we knew, we allowed Jesus to overturn? And then as a church, what does it sound like to roar? As we enter this, this uh, final season of the pandemic and then post-pandemic life, does a roar of God sound like gathering the same people from 2019 back into one room again. If we were to listen to the fierce heart of God and ask, God, what are you calling us to in 2021? Would we hear the heart of God weekly saying, it would just be nice if we can get most of the people who called Grace home at the beginning of last year back into one room again. To be sure, regathering is important. And that's our plan this summer 
every month. Our plan this summer is to have a gathering, a large gathering. Oh, it's an outdoor church-wide event for everyone who calls Grace home. A big, large outdoor gathering this summer while we wait for the pandemic to fully end. And then on the other weeks, because that's once a month, the other weeks in the summer, we'll be gathering in groups of 20 to 40 people for worship with singing and a message and relationship. But that's not the roar. That's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. That's just the raw. That's the raw. But we can't stop with the raw. Even my toddler knows. She knows we have to get all the way to the full roar. We can't stop with a rock. If we listen to the fierce heart of God and we ask, what are you calling us to in 2021? We would hear a beating drum calling us to march forward. We would hear God telling us that the best is yet to come. In 2019, God would say that in 2019, I had 16,000 people in Atamwa who I love who did not have a faith community to care for them, love them, and disciple them in the name of Jesus. Let me say that again. If we were to ask God, what are you calling us to in 2021? I believe God would remind us that in 2019, God had 16,000 people in Atumwa who God loves, who did not have a faith community to care for them, love them, and disciple them in the name of Jesus. I believe if we asked God, what is your fierce heart telling us to do in 2021? I think our God would say, if the people who are called by my name don't take their mission to heart, then in 2021, there won't be 16,000 people who don't have a faith community. There'll be 17,000 or 18,000 people with no church to call home. All across our nation, researchers are expecting an average of 20% decrease in the number of people who have a church post-COVID. We can talk more about why that change is happening. We can talk about that today after our prayer on Zoom today. But what we need to know right now is that these are people who are dear to the fierce heart of God. And God has been preparing us in this year to reach out to them in love, but it will not happen if we forget to roar. God is asking us to represent Jesus in the world. Jesus, Jesus who went out to the least, the last, and the lost. Churches all over the nation are talking about regathering in 2021, but what did Jesus do? Jesus looked at the people who weren't following him. And he said to the people who weren't following him, how long I've longed to gather you up in my arms. Let's look again at Philip and Andrew continuing on in the story. We looked at Philip and Andrew when they invited someone else to come follow Jesus. At the very beginning, days into their walk with Jesus. And then we saw them in this moment of feeding the 5,000. But now fast forward even more. And the scriptures tell us some Greeks were among those who had come up to worship at a festival Jesus was at. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they made a request, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Do you notice who reached out to Philip? It was the Greeks. The Greeks reached out to Philip, the follower of Jesus, with a Greek name. 
because this happens relationally. They needed someone who they could relate to. God has given you the opportunity to connect with people who I, as Pastor Chris, will never be able to connect with the way you can. They need someone they can relate to. But they will only experience life in Jesus to the fullest if you invite them. But I have another question that I can't help but ask when I read this text. Would the people you spend time with know that if they want to meet Jesus, you're the one to talk to? Because these Greeks, they, they somehow saw that Philip was operating in that close relationship to Jesus. That they knew, oh, if I want to talk to Jesus, I need to talk to Philip. And please don't say, because this is my temptation, don't say, yes, pastor, I tell people that I'm going to church. And that's like me saying, well, yes, people would know that because I'm a pastor. Well, that's good. But do we talk about spiritual things in conversation? Do we talk about how when we're facing a personal struggle, it's our faith that gives us strength? Do we talk about how when we're facing a personal decision, it's our faith that guides us? Do we share that openly? Do we tell people that we're praying for them when they tell us that they're struggling? Philip told Andrew, and Andrew told Philip. And Philip told Jesus. What what a remarkable little verse there. The Greeks came to Philip and said, we want to see Jesus. Philip told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip, they went together to see Jesus. And some of you right now are saying, Pastor, I, I can't talk about my faith. It's just too intimidating right now. But maybe if, if I had someone else that was in this with me, then we could bring someone to Jesus together. See, this whole event right here where Philip and Andrew tell Jesus there's some Greeks, some people outside of the Jewish people who want to meet you. This whole event prompts Jesus to announce that he is about to die on the cross. And when he is lifted up on that cross, he will draw people from every people group to himself. He says, it's time. This is why I've come. It's for these people that you've just brought to me. I'm going to the cross for them. Jesus went to the cross for your coworkers. And you have them in your minds right now. For your neighbors, those people you get coffee with, for that person that you went to school with, and now you just wave when you see each other at the grocery store. Jesus went to the cross for your brother and for your sister and your parents and your in-laws and your kids. And Jesus is saying, will you bring these people who are in your network of connection, will you bring them to me? This fall, our plan is to relaunch large gathering worship again, starting the Sunday after Labor Day. That's our plan. It's all very tentative. COVID has a lot to do with that. No one knows the future, but that's our best guess of when that would be the optimal time to do that. We're planning on two in-person worship services a hymn-driven service with choir and bell choir, and acoustic-driven campfire-style worship. And when I say campfire-style worship, here's what I have in mind here. I have in mind that relational moment when you're sitting around the fam- campfire with people and you know, you know you're cared about, you know you're in a safe place, 
and you feel like it's safe to worship God as, as someone's playing playing a song. I don't know about you, but some of the most spiritual times in my life and most connected times with other people I've had have been around a campfire. So a hymn-driven service and an acoustic service, but these are different kinds of services that are going to connect with different people. One is more of a high church kind of liturgical service. Another would be more of a casual, relaxed service. There'll be time in between for connection because we are one congregation. And some of you are going to want to attend both worship services. And we'll have online options available as well because we know that there are people who are connecting right now online who for multiple reasons aren't able to come to a, a gathered worship service. And Grace is going to provide you with tools and support so that you can invite your friends and neighbors and coworkers with confidence. But my question for you is this, who are you praying for right now to be in worship with you? Do you have their names written down? Do you have them written on a sticky note? I have them written down here. I've got written in code because I don't want that to be seen for the whole world because that's my private prayer for these individuals who are you praying will be in worship with you? Which service would they connect to? Because there are people who don't have a church who love hymns. And there are people who don't have a church who love modern tunes. And they both need the same gospel of God who comes near to us in Jesus, teaches us how to live, teaches us how to love. The same Jesus who's killed by the evil of this world, who defeats evil and sin and death when he rises up from the dead. Do you love these people in your life enough to start praying for them now, today? Right now, will you pray for three people? If you haven't already, will you write their name on a sticky note, on a sheet of paper, on scratch paper, on a napkin? Will you write down the name of these people who you want to be part of your church this fall? If you want, one of these people can be someone who is part of a church that you attended sometime in the past five years. Who you're afraid has gotten disconnected from church. But then reserve at least two places in your prayers for people who you don't think are attending any church at all. Would you hold up that list right now? Would you hold it up? And would you pray, whether you have it on a napkin or a sticky note or, or a scratch piece of paper or you have a, a thick notepad or even if you don't even have it written down right now, so you just hold up those names in your hand. Will you pray for them right now? Will you pray, God, for these individuals? We lift them up to you and we ask we ask that you do your Holy Spirit work in them that only you can do, preparing them for the invitation that's going to come. And give us the boldness to give it. But right now, would you do the work of your Holy Spirit to be so that they would be receptive to your grace? Give them a longing for a full life and not willing to sell for less. And give me opportunities, give each one of us opportunities to share our experience of you with them. An honest, organic, not forced, not agenda-driven kind of ways to share our experience of what it means for us to follow you 
in the easy times and the hard times, the good times and the bad times, where you are with us no matter what, and you give us a purpose beyond ourselves. We ask for your Holy Spirit's work in us and for those who we love. In Jesus' name, amen. And then, friends, I ask as we enter into a time of communion together, that you pray, pray these words with me on the screen. Would you pray these words? It's a prayer of confession. Would you pray, God who sends us to reflect your goodness in this world, we admit we have not loved you with our whole heart. We easily become self-focused and fail to love the people around us, especially those who feel far from you. We have blinded our eyes to people who face injustice. We have even failed to love ourselves as your children. We ask that you forgive, heal, and send us to carry your love into this world by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the good news, friends. While we were caught in our self-absorbed brokenness, Jesus died for us. This proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thank you for listening. If you found today's podcast meaningful, we invite you to subscribe to all of the podcasts from Grace Autumnal. Grace is a congregation of the United Methodist Church located in Otumwa, Iowa. For more information on this podcast or other information on the Ministries of Grace Otumwa, you can find us on the web at www.graceotumwa, spelled O-T-T-U-M-W-A, dot org. Thank you for listening.